Amen. Please remain standing as we read this morning's preaching passage. If you've got your Bibles, open up to Jude. It'll also be on the screen. Our passage this morning is Jude 17 through 25. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in, the most holy, in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forevermore. Amen. Please be seated. As we come now to God's Word, let's bow our heads in prayer. And let's be still and quiet. Our Lord God, as we come to Your Word, we pray that You would help us to concentrate. Please remove from our minds any distractions. Uh, whether exciting things we're looking forward to or concerning things we dread. Give us clear minds, open minds. We pray, Lord, that you would feed us with the food of your word, that we might be strengthened. And not only, Lord, for our good, also for the good of other people that we can feed your word to as well, those around us uh, that we can encourage and teach and point in the right direction too from your word. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, we come now to the uh, second and last in this very brief series in the book of Jude. And I encourage you, as always, to have your Bibles open at that passage. And uh, we uh, saw last week, and it was, I think, quite a surprise uh, to many of us that this rather strange book of Jude is so relevant to contemporary issues. Of course, it shouldn't be a surprise because the Bible always speaks uh, today, but I think it was a surprise to many of us. And as I've been looking at uh, uh, Jude this week, I have found myself surprised again. Uh, of course, uh, Jude last week uh, identified the problem that we're facing, and, um, and then this week we're looking at the solution. And as I've uh, studied this week what Jude says, um, as I say, I've been surprised. It's not what I would have said um, before I had uh, studied this book of uh, Jude. 
Uh, but before we get to the solution, Jude begins by reiterating and summarizing uh, the problem. Like all good teachers, he makes sure that we really got what he's saying by repeating it in a slightly different way so that the message sinks in and we understand it. And so he begins in verses 17 to 19 uh, by summarizing what he has identified as the problem, which, of course, is false teaching and false teachers. And that was quite a surprise to us last week, that actually the problem we're facing is false teaching in the church in America and in the West, and we went all the way through that last week. And this week, he begins by summarizing it, and he says, you really shouldn't have been surprised because uh, that's uh, verse 17, what uh, was predicted by the apostles. But we were a bit surprised, weren't we? But in summarizing it, he then puts a very fine point on the kind of false teaching and what it really is about, Uh, In verse 19, he says, It is these who cause divisions, worldly people. Now, when he says worldly people, we mustn't get confused. Uh, The word there for worldly is not the same word that is often translated uh, worldly in the New Testament. The word there for worldly is the word from which we get psychological. Now, when we think of that word psychological, we think of Freud and psychological counseling and all the rest. But, of course, that wasn't uh, around in Jude's day, and that, of course, should not be what we think that he's talking about when he uses that word that, from which we get psychological. What he means is uh, the psyche, the, um, the soul, the merely natural. So what he's talking about here when he says, or worldly people, we might put it like this, mere human religion, mere human religion, the kind of thing that we would dream up from our own psyche, from our own souls, from our own natural instincts, mere human religiosity, for these people are devoid, he says, of the Spirit, or literally do not have the Spirit. It's merely natural without the Spirit. That's the issue with this false teaching. Now, what does that mean? Well, once again, I want to turn with you to that cross-reference. Cross-reference in Mark chapter 7, Jesus' teaching uh, about the Pharisees. You have a Bible. I encourage you to turn there with me to Mark chapter 7. And we looked at it last week, but I want to uh, bring out to you a part that we didn't have time to look at last week, which uh, Jude, I think, is reflecting And Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, and of course the Pharisees are religious people, and this uh, problem that Judah has identified is about uh, not the world, but the church, religious people. And so what does Jesus say about religious people, the Pharisees of his day? And we looked at how he said the problem was they've rejected the Bible to teach their human commands. But uh, then in verse 14, uh, Jesus says there's a consequence of that, which is they become confused about the nature of the problem. So he says, verse 14, hear me, all of you, and understand. Get this. Listen. Understand. There's nothing outside a person that can defile him or make him unclean or ungodly. It's what comes from within, the things that come out of a person. 
And again, uh, when he's with his disciples, he says the same thing. Are you also without understanding? Don't you understand? Don't you see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him and make him unclean? Because it goes into his stomach, not into his heart. It's what comes out of a person, verse 20, that defiles him. From within, out of the heart of man, will come all this sexual morality and all the theft, murder, adultery, all this wickedness. It comes from within. But the the natural religion, what Jude is talking about, what Jesus is addressing with the Pharisees, what we invent as humans always says, no, the problem is outside me. The problem is outside And uh, if we went to certain uh, markets, uh, stalls, or bought uh, various food online, we could get kosher food. Of course, those who insist, our friends who insist on having only kosher food, what they're saying is a certain kind of food makes me unclean. It's almost as if Jesus, uh, what Jesus said uh, need not have been said. It's been completely ignored. It's not from what comes outside, it's from within. Or the the same with all these religions that say you have to wash a certain kind of way. The Hindus, millions go to the Ganges to wash. It's almost as if Jesus shouldn't have bothered to say what he said. It's been completely ignored. It's not from what's outside that makes you unclean. It's from within. But the same is true uh, today. On the left and on the right. Today, over and over again, people are saying the issue is what's outside me. The issue is the structures of our society. People say that over and over again. The issue is the nation. Over and over again, they say that. The issue is the culture. Something outside me. And Jesus says, no, no, no. The issue is me, my heart, your heart. It's from within. And I think the church, and I I said in the earliest service, 30 to 40 years, and that may be too long, perhaps it's only 10 years, But certainly for a long time, the church in America and in the West in general has utterly failed God's people by failing to teach on this matter. It has not taught on sin, on the darkness of the human heart, on what that very old-fashioned word used to call depravity, because it's wanted a feel-good message. And the result of that is we always are saying today, the problem is outside me. It's the structures. It's the culture. No, says Jesus, the problem is within. The problem is me. The heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. And uh, Jude says there's a consequence of that. You come back to Jude. Uh, These are those who cause divisions, merely natural religion without the Spirit, for only the Spirit of Jesus can change my heart. Only Jesus, by His Spirit, can give me a new heart. But this is merely natural religion 
without the Spirit, and the result of that, it is these who cause divisions. Why? Well, Jesus taught on that too. Very famous saying of Jesus that I'm sure we all know. Every time you um, spot a speck in someone else's eye, what did you say? Be aware of the log, the beam in your own eye. Why? Because the problem is my heart. Your heart. But all these other solutions, all these other identifications of the problem, what they're really saying is the problem is someone else. And of course that causes division. And I, I'm old enough to have grown up in a time when there was a massive uh, and I say it's on the left and on the right, but I'm old enough to grow up in a time when I saw the utter failure of Marxism. I lived in those countries that had um, uh, given in to this structural. The, the problem is the human structures. That's not the problem. It utterly failed. Why? Because a fundamental and thorough misdiagnosis of the problem. The same is true today on the right. It's the culture. It's not the culture. It's me. It's my heart. It's not them. That's human religion. It's my heart. So that, uh, Jude has been saying, is the problem. False teaching. Well, what then is the solution? And as he comes to the solution, remember his, his uh, 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 ongoing phrase to summarize all that he's saying in this book is contend for the faith. As he comes to the solution, as I say, it surprised me. I, I would have thought that uh, if the problem is false teaching, um, in my mind, uh, the obvious solution would be true teaching. Uh, makes sense. But that's not what Jude says. Um, Jude actually is saying the solution is Christians becoming more healthily Christian. That's the solution. And uh, he's very strategic about it, and I don't have time to develop all uh, the, the thinking that Jude has here at a tactical level. Uh, just, we just don't have the time. I only have time to just outline his strategy, but it is extremely strategic and very practical. And what he's saying is that word, of course, contend, has a sort of military idea to it. It's a fight, a spiritual fight, and he is strategic. The word strategy is a military stra- word. It's a strategic, and he's very strategic. And what he says here, he has a strategy, uh, well, first of all, about our community, and this is verses 20 and 21. And uh, he has various elements of this strategy about the community as he comes to the solution. The first element is love. But you beloved, he talks a lot about love in Jude, Uh, You, beloved, and then again, verse 21, keep yourselves in the love of God. The first strategy for our community is love. People today sneer at love. They say it is weak. I'll tell that to Jude. Tell that to Jesus, who said, this is how... You, the world will know that you are my disciples by the love you have for one another. And so for our community, the first strategy is, is, is love. Love is not weak, it's strong. 
But then also, not only love, faith. So he says, build yourselves up in your most holy faith. What causes all the anxiety, the worries that we have today? No, it's not COVID. It's not the politics. What is it? Our lack of faith. Is God not still God? Is he not almighty? Do we not trust him? So we must build ourselves up in our most holy faith, to love faith. As I say, I won't have time to really dive into all these things, but they're very strategic. Love faith and then prayer. He says, uh, praying in the Holy Spirit. Uh, It's a certain kind of prayer, isn't it? It's not just a list of uh, my needs, a great shopping list of all the things I want from God. No, not my human ideas about what God should do. No, it's praying in the Holy Spirit. That is praying as the Spirit directs, praying as the Lord leads. And that kind of prayer is the most exciting prayer and indeed I think the most exciting experience any of us will ever have in this life and I think many of us who are Christians would have at least have a a touch of that experience at some point or other you're in some prayer meeting suddenly the spirit takes hold of the prayer meeting and then this brother and this sister and this person is praying as the spirit leads and you sense that God is directing our prayers into his will that kind of prayer and we need to become more healthy we need to do that more I think we do that far too little as a church praying in the spirit so love faith prayer and then I suspect I suspect for us uh, suburbanites who are always busy most difficult of all uh, wait Verse 21, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Now, uh, don't get um, confused or misdirected in your mind. He's not saying they're just waiting until you go to heaven. The word for waiting has a sense of welcome to it, uh, receiving, open, uh, be still. And know that he is God. It's a waiting. An openness. I I wonder what the Lord is going to do with my life today. What story would he tell with my life today? I wonder what God will say to me today through his word. It's an expectancy. Lord, here I am. Do with me as you will. And so each day we wait on the Lord. So waiting. Well, how much more healthy would our community be if we uh, had uh, these elements of love and faith, praying in the Spirit and, and waiting? Uh, but as I say, Jude is very strategic, and he's not only concerned about the internal life of the Christian community, but also um, our ministry, and this is verses 22 and 23, and he strategically 
advises certain kinds of ministry to different kinds of people. He's very practical. And it's our, our ministry. So we've had our community, now our ministry. And when I say ministry, I don't mean what I do. Um, I'm a pastor. Not all of you are pastors. I am a pastor. I'm also a minister. If you're a Christian, all of us, all of us Christians are ministers. We all have a ministry. And uh, this is talking about our ministry. And uh, it's uh, three different elements to it. So first of all, to those who are doubting, and in the Greek it's, it's uh, a little more obvious, though it is here in the English, he identifies different kinds of ministry to different kinds of categories of people. So first of all, have mercy on those who doubt. So this is a ministry to the doubting. What should we do for those who are wavering with all this false teaching around us right now? Well, we should not be angry. We should not be aggressive. We should not be um, dismissive. We should have mercy on those who doubt. Uh, What about those who are deceived by this false teaching? Verse 23, well, save others by snatching them out of the fire. I think Jude here is probably talking about those who've been deceived by the false teaching. And because they have been deceived, they are in danger of um, the fire of God's judgment. And what should be our ministry to them? Save them. In other words, what Jude is saying is we should have a ministry of evangelism even to people who call themselves Christians. Because some of them are probably not. It's so easy, isn't it, to go through church life, uh, to grow up in a predominantly Christian culture or country, as I suppose America still is uh, to some extent, at least in certain areas of the country. And uh, merely, though, to have natural religion, outside religion. And it never touch your heart. And what should we do with people like that? They need to be saved. They don't need a program of discipleship to teach them how to look more like Christians, even though they're not. They need to become a Christian. They need to be saved. That's why last week, and I I think I'll do it again this week, I offered anyone who wants to put their faith in Jesus for the first time or again to meet with me uh, this week over Zoom. Uh, This is not a counseling session. I I do pastoral counseling. That's not what this is. This is not a complaint session. This is for those who wish to put their faith in Jesus for the first time or again. Why? Why? Because we all, me and you, all of us, need to have a ministry of saving uh, those around us. And evangelization to those who have bought into this kind of merely human religion, which I think is everywhere in the church these days. But then I think this is the most surprising thing for me of this passage as I studied it this week. And it's not what I would have recommended before I studied the passage. So I'm learning along the way, as I hope we all are. Uh, But Jude, I think, is even saying we should have a ministry to the deceivers, the false teachers. 
so he says uh, then the final category of uh, this external ministry, this ministry that we all have, he says to others, so on the one hand the, the doubters, on the other hand the deceived, and then also though to the uh, deceivers. I think he has in mind the false teachers. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment. Uh, now that word for garment there is actually a, a Hebrew loan word used in the Greek. So the, the New Testament was written in Greek, of course, and the Old Testament is mainly written in Hebrew. And this is a Hebrew loan word used in the Greek that came to mean undergarment, probably, mainly, uh, underwear. And so I think what Jude is saying here is he's identifying these uh, false teachers, and what he's saying is in a similar way to that well-known phrase in Christian circles uh, that we should love the sinner but hate the sin, what he's saying about these false teachers is we should hate the false teaching but have mercy on the false teachers. But if uh, God does give you a ministry towards uh, correcting false teaching, if you have mercy on false teachers, you need to do it with fear, that is with great caution, lest you also become deceived. So we have here a strategic ministry of our community, uh, a love and faith and prayer and waiting, a a strategic uh, ministry to these different categories that I've just identified, but then finally, uh, not only our, our community and our ministry, but also our confidence. Now, I'll spend at least time on this of all the different sections this morning just because it's so familiar to us, this final doxology in verses 24 to 25. Uh, doxology just means a word of praise or glory. Doxa is glory or praise. Logos means a word. It means a word of praise And uh, Jude is finishing with a final word of praise, but the reason why he's doing it, and it's very famous, it's often used in church circles at the end of services or as a prayer, that kind of thing. Uh, The reason why he's doing it here is because he wants not only to have a strategy for us, for our community, and not only a strategy for our ministry, but also a strategic confidence. Where does our confidence come from? Well, the answer is it comes from him. Now to him who is able, if we are lacking confidence today with all that's facing you uh, and you're not sure about the future or what God is up to or what is going on in the world, where do you get a renewed confidence? From him. And how do you uh, school yourself, talk to yourself, give yourself that kind of confidence? By reflecting on the fact that God is able. Now to him who is able, God can do it. God is still God. He still rules. He is able. That gives us great confidence. But not only that, what does God do? He presents us, he keeps us from stumbling and then presents us blameless and with great joy. That's the two sides of the... uh, results of the gospel. Because Jesus died on the cross and rose again, 
and took our sins, he took our blame. He took our punishment, he took our shame, and therefore when we trust him, he presents us blameless. We have no blame. And therefore, with great joy. That's the great strategic thing we need when we're engaged in this kind of contending for the faith. We need joy. And because we're blameless, we have great joy. Uh, Nehemiah in the Old Testament uh, teaches the same thing when he tells God's people in their great battle that it is the joy of the Lord that is your strength. Whose joy? His joy. And therefore, because it is His joy, I can experience it even when the circumstances around me are difficult. So our confidence comes from his be, Him being able. He presents us without blame, blameless, and with great joy. And then Jude, and I'll just very briefly mention this, but, uh, but it is, of course, hugely significant. Uh, Jude here, as he concludes, makes sure that we understand that Jesus is God. Verse 25, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory. In other words, Jesus is God. And I suspect we don't have many Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses listening, but perhaps we do. I don't know. But I'm sure you know some like that. Well, here is a text that's very clearly showing that Jesus is God. He is to be given all glory. Authority. Why? Because he is God. Uh, but somewhat more subtly, but also very importantly, and I, I didn't mention this at all last week, uh, but I want to make sure before we leave the book of Jude, I briefly underline it. This Jesus, verse 5, is uh, the one who saved, Jude says, the people out of the land of Egypt. So when you read the Old Testament, you read the book of Exodus. You read the book of Deuteronomy, who saved God's people from Egypt? And according to Jude, the answer is Jesus. Jesus saved God's people from Egypt. Why? Because he's God. And therefore, the whole of the Bible should be interpreted Christocentrically. Why? Because Jesus is God. He saved God's people from Egypt. He is to be given all glory. When? Well, before all time, that's obviously about the past, and so that should protect us from what the book of Proverbs calls the foolishness of asking, why was the past better than today? That's always foolish, isn't it? Because a hundred years ago, they were asking the same thing about their past. But theologically or spiritually, it's foolish because God is before all time. Before all time, so about the past, in the present, now, and then the future, forever. To which I suppose we can only join Jude in adding our amen. Let's pray together. Our Lord God, we uh, do ask that uh, you would protect us from the false teaching of merely human religion. 
a religiosity of the externals, what we wear, what we eat, Uh, the externals of uh, structures and nations and societies and cultures. And instead, Lord, help us to listen to your word that very challengingly tells us the real issue is my heart, our hearts. Help us then, Lord, to come to you and ask ask you to give us of your spirit that we would not be those without the spirit but those filled with your Spirit. And help us, therefore, Lord, strategically that uh, our community would be a community of love and faith and praying in the Spirit and waiting on you and have a ministry to those who doubt and deceived, even the deceivers. And perhaps, Lord, most of all, to have this great confidence that comes from you and who you are. So be at work in us, we pray, according to Jesus' name. Amen.